The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome to episode 10 of The Boys of Tech. I'm Edwin Herman and introducing my co-host, welcome, Brett King. Howdy. Brett, uh, you're coming to us uh, via Skype over dial-up, I understand. Yep, yep. Finally (laughs) internetting from home, but currently on my free dial-up that I've been given while I wait for my modem. (laughs) You know, in the previous episodes, we actually joked about you being on dial-up because you were, you know, sounding a little bit choppy. But this time, you really are on dial-up. Yes, indeed. Was Everybody it? should feel very sorry for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> trust me, we we do feel for you. Is it a nostalgic experience? It's very slow. Um, nostalgic? Not really. <laughs> Something you could do Not without. Not really. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I'm sure being connected at what is it, 53.6 kilobits per second in the old days would have seemed super fast, but <laughs> now it takes forever to load a web page. <laughs> hey, I remember going from 28.8 to 33.6 to 56. In fact, I even remember 14.4. In fact, I think you remember oh, yeah. slower than that, don't you? Oh, indeed. I used to connect to the university network at 1,200 board. <laughs> That's just laughable now. <laughs> <laughs> Very. <laughs> but, you know, hey, when everything's text-based, that's about as fast as you need, to be honest. Oh, indeed, indeed. It but, was almost real-time. Yeah, yeah. Almost are... real-time IRC. <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah, people forget that though. I mean, it's like operating systems, you know, and computers, you know. You you talk about, you know, oh, back in the day I had a Pentium 90 and they laugh at that. But look, you know, you were running Windows 3.1 or Windows, an early version of Windows 95. It was fast. Yeah, yeah. It seems extraordinary. (laughs) Now you go back to one of them, even running 3.1, and you go, my God, how did I... How did I have the patience for this? <laughs> well, I, I go back to Windows 3.1 and I think, my goodness, where, what, how do I work this thing, you know? How do I drive this? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it's where's the start button? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's the start button? <laughs> it was just an app, a DOS application, wasn't it? Indeed. Basically. All yep. right, into our story list for the week then. Uh, the first story up is uh, Windows 7 is set to uh, be getting a touch interface built in so that uh, instead of using a keyboard and mouse or perhaps in addition to the keyboard and mouse, you can actually use gestures on the screen, uh, a, bit, a little bit like the iPhone, you know, when you, you zoom in and uh, swipe to, to flick from page to page. I think that's a great feature and... I think that should be on all computers. Yeah, it's it's a feature that's been a long time coming. Um, the technology's just not been here, but we've seen some massive leaps forward in the past few years. Um, 
Apple leading the way with the, the iPhone interface has just, you know, taken it that leap forward that it needed. Now, touch is everywhere. We've seen more tablet PCs coming with the touch um, capabilities. Um, Apple's uh, latest generation of laptops, the trackpad, allows you to do gestures as well. So it's got some touch interface built into it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely been a long time coming from Microsoft. They've obviously taken on board all of the things they've learned from the development of that um, Microsoft Surface um, system that they've uh, just, you know. Oh, the coffee table. Yes, yes. Yeah, look, uh, it's it's something that I think really is going to be so much more intuitive to use. And look, I don't think it's going to replace the keyboard and mouse necessarily. I think you still need them. But I think as an extra to work with and complement those other two methods of interacting with your computer. You know, it makes sense to develop a, a good interface. And um, kudos to Microsoft for deciding to build an interface such as that into their next generation Windows product. Yeah, absolutely. They've probably annoyed Apple a little bit because they're usually the ones to claim to be the first at every little bit along the way. And like you said, this is this is it's good finally to see some some real innovation coming out of Redmond. Yeah, yeah. It's it well it's not like Apple doesn't have anything with the the, the um multi-touch sort of gesture sort of inputs. They're the ones who developed the iPhone, which has brought this thing along, um, which has made, you know, it's what kicked it in the butt, which has brought it as far as it has. And the next generation of um, Apple laptops, the glass track pad uh, supports multi-touch gestures just like the, um, the, the iPhone. So... It's not like they're not doing it. No, but, thing, but, but they haven't um, really got a desktop with it where, that you can inter- no, interact No, no, they haven't. They haven't gone full, full size, full user interface, mm. full size. Yeah. Um, whereas that's what um, Microsoft is doing with um, Windows Seven, or at least that's what they've announced that they're doing. It'll mean a whole a whole new generation of you know hardware to buy, it, and you know it'll open up the market for cleaning products for for people's screens because. You can imagine all of the people who've been sitting in front of their computers eating a pizza, reading the web, and they've gone to click the next button by touching their screen, and there's a big, you know, barbecue oh, sauce smear on it. <laughs> hey, you'd, you'd want to turn off the feature when you're cleaning the screen, though, wouldn't you? Because otherwise you'd never know what you'd be doing. Oh, yeah, you could be selecting all kinds of stuff. You never know what pop-ups you'll be clicking on. <laughs> I suppose it's the same as the keyboard. You unplug your keyboard when you, wash, when you clean that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you should. <laughs> Maybe you don't, but you should. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Uh, researchers have cracked a Mac in less than 10 seconds at the recent Pwn to Own contest. So uh, the Mac people out there often claim that their machines are more secure and more robust and almost immune to viruses and uh, vulnerabilities. But in fact, this was the first machine to go, the Mac. 10 seconds, yep. gone, compromised. Yeah, although the security researcher did um, have a lot of time to prepare beforehand the, the hack, um, the, well, the, the exploit package that he used to crack the machine in 10 seconds. 
Yeah, so essentially he, he prepared some stuff uh, on a website and when it came to competition time, he just punched in the URL and that was it and he could demonstrate that that machine was in compromised. What, what's worrying mm. though is that it was a fully patched Mac uh, using Safari fully patched. So it just goes to mm. show that the Mac platform is certainly not immune and in fact, it's, uh, you, you know, many say that it's actually more vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I think one of the misconceptions about it, uh, you know, security-wise, is actually the fact that most people don't target the Macintosh. Because the, the Windows boxes are the prevalent box, it makes sense for the hackers to spend as much of their time as possible on the biggest market, which would be the Windows boxes. So the Macintosh has been getting off um, with a bit of security by obscurity, but um, it really doesn't mean that it is more secure. And in fact, uh, Firefox and Internet Explorer were also successfully compromised. Surprisingly, Chrome was the only one left standing that's the google browser yeah yeah <laughs> and that's because of one of chrome's inherent features and that is its sandboxing of all of its um you know all of its processes all of its execution so that's what's made it um survive the first round so what happens now i think the next round they're allowed plugins aren't they whereas on the first day it was a default install with no plugins no uh, flash yeah, yeah. So it should be a lot easier for all of the browsers now to be compromised, um, allowing plugins, Flash and Java and such forth. So they're all going uh, going for Chrome now. That's the only one left standing. It's the only one that's survived the first round. So everybody that had phone to own is going to be <laughs> aiming for Chrome. And what actually happens too is that the information from these uh, exploits is given to the vendors. So Apple now have all the information on the uh, exploit that compromised its operating system and browser. And so that, as we speak, uh, working on a fix. And so that's a good thing. That's a good outcome from these events. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well, it's one of the primary outcomes of these sorts of events is for these exploits and vulnerabilities to be discovered and then on sold to the vendor, because discovering these exploits, finding these vulnerabilities, is an awful lot of time commitment from the people who are doing it, and so they are very much a commodity that can be sold. And this is one of those forums which brings the people who are finding these exploits and the vendors who want to fix the exploits together and allowing for that transaction, that basically purchase of the exploits so that they can be fixed. Oh, there's definitely money in it, all right. Uh, and as you know, the, the vendors themselves have a team of people working on fixes and looking to secure the their products. So, you know, they're obviously mm -hmm. spending money already in that way. So if an outsider yep. discovers a vulnerability, that's, that's well worth money to the, to the vendor, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the guy who compromised the Mac won uh, the prize of $5,000. Uh, he also, didn't he get to keep the Mac as well? He, he also got to keep the Mac, hence the name, Pwned Up. Well, you, you know what I reckon? Pwned. I reckon they all went for the Mac because it was the only one worth getting. That's the only reason it got compromised so quickly. 
<laughs> no, I am joking, of course. <laughs> yeah, what was the other one? I think the other one's a Sony Vio. There's the PC one that they're going for. That's not a bad machine. Not a bad machine at all. Mm. In Britain, the lobby group called Privacy International are not happy with Google's Street View application and they're effectively saying, Google, do you mind just flicking that switch off for a second and turning your whole system off for a little while until we sort out these issues? Then you can turn the whole thing back on again. <laughs> like that's going to happen. Yeah, like that's going to happen. Yes, they're asking Google to turn off the, the I think only the British version of Street View until the, what is it, the information commissioner can properly investigate the complaints that the Privacy International are, are bringing against Street View. So, it's <laughs> quite but, funny, but these, really. compl- these complaints seem a little crazy. There's, we're talking about photos taken from a public place, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about photos taken from a public place. It doesn't require you to get consent. It's not as if you're taking photos of a person. If the person is... For instance, if I was out on the street and I was taking a photo of, you know, the view down the street, then that's perfectly fine. If I focus in on a particular person and take that photo, that's still fine. But if I want to use it for anything, like put it, make it publicly available or use it for commercial purposes, then I have to go and get the consent of the person person who I was taking a photo of. However, if I'm taking a crowd scene, I don't have to do that because it's a public place. There are there are laws around that. And Google's but, cameras are just mounted on a vehicle that drives along a road, correct? I mean, it's not like Indeed, that. Indeed, it's, 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 it's the ultimate the... taking a photo of everything. It's not focusing on a single person. It's taking a photo of the entire environment around the car. <laughs> so they're not creeping into your front lawn and holding a camera to your window, are they? No, no. They are only taking a photo of what is publicly viewable from the road. The Most of the um, privacy complaints that are coming up against them are, you know, people who don't want people to be able to, from the internet, see their front yard, or people who have been doing inappropriate things in public places, or people who have been in places they shouldn't have been. <laughs> now they regret the, it. And now they regret yeah. it because they've been snapped because they were silly enough to do something in the public. <laughs> but already, full view of the road. <laughs> but already, Google have a process for removing those photos, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You can apply. Anybody can apply to Google. There's a button on the the Street View page where you can request to have that photo removed. And Google also goes through and. Well, they've got an automated process which goes through and finds faces and blurs them out already. There has, as you were discussing prior to this, there has been some controversy over whether or not the face blurring that Google uses is quite enough. And I think they've got some legitimate, um, you know, argument there because you look at some of the Street View photos and while the faces are blurred, some of them are completely undistinguishable blurred and others, the blurring doesn't quite mask the underlying features of the face enough. You can still make out quite a bit. So they might have to work on something there, but it still doesn't get past the fact that 
you can request Google to remove any of the yeah, photos. And, and it's not hard. In fact, Google are really bending over backwards, aren't they, to provide such a yeah. image removal service. That it, yep. it, the, the whole thing seems a bit silly. In fact, Google have referred to this as nothing more than just a publicity stunt. And that may well be the case too. I mean, fancy asking yeah. to turn the whole thing off in Britain. I mean, that just seems a little... Indeed. It, yeah. it seems a little overkill yeah. there. It's each and every each and every one of those, um, what is it, 200 complaints, 200 reports, should be handled individually on a case-by-case basis. It doesn't mean turn the whole thing off. It's not going to happen. No, no. <laughs> I can't see it happening. I can't see it happening either. All right, in Germany... Police have raided the home of the domain name holder of wikileaks.de. Oh, here's a, here's a case of, of <laughs> Big Brother State and something that just bends your mind when you're trying to think about it. What is it? They, they raided his house because he is the domain name owner for wikileaks.de and what was the reason they were raiding his house they were raiding it to see if he had pornography it seems bizarre it's just it just seems so twisted really it's hard to get your head around how they could make any sort of logical leap as you are the owner of this domain therefore you might have porn <laughs> it does, it's just stupid I agree. And in fact, it kind of reminds me of the Pirate Bay where they went after the Pirate Bay in Sweden on the assumption that they were hosting illegal material. But in fact, they weren't hosting any material on their actual servers. The closest you get was that using the Pirate Bay, you could find where such material was. But on those servers themselves, they weren't hosting anything. And this is the same with, with WikiLeaks, isn't it? First of, all, exactly. first of all, it's just the domain name holder. But secondly, even so, WikiLeaks itself doesn't have any illegal material, does it? No. It's just leaked documents, isn't it? And there's no, yeah. there's no actual uh, violating material on their servers as such. Not really, no. It, the whole thing's just bizarre. It is. It's, it's, yeah. it's just a mind twister. You know what I think they should have done? They should have gone straight to the top and gone for the domain name holder of .de. Oh, indeed, because it's, it's their fault for allowing it to occur in the first place. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it must, it must be. So, <laughs> I mean, this is just, that's just ludicrous. <laughs> it is. Well, Brett, that's uh, our international stories done. Uh, not really a great deal uh, this week, but we've got a few New Zealand stories now to talk about. Uh, first up is the news on Section 92A of the Copyright Act is that the section will be scrapped and redone from scratch. Good one, I say. Oh, definitely. Good move. <laughs> yeah. Sanity has prevailed. There has been some reasonableness. <laughs> Somebody has seen the light. <laughs> Yep, so what's the score then? Internet 1, government 0? Well, kind of. It's Internet and Freedoms 1 and Big Conglomerates Amalgamated Corporations 0. <laughs> yeah, because we, we, we really know who's behind this, don't we? Indeed, indeed. It's, it's, it's not the government who's coming in and it was well in ministers words but 
But we, yeah, we know who lobbied mainly. Yes, yes. Um, those groups whispering in the ear of the minister, and I'm sure there was some sort of handshake going on to get the wording that Section 92A had the most ridiculous piece of legislation you could possibly um, concoct hey, <laughs> in some bizarre drug-hazed fantasy world, maybe. Well have made <laughs> no logical, realistic person would ever <laughs> have written something like that. It's completely unworkable. And in fact, Google have come out and uh, voiced their opinion on the subject too, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, they've come out and they've gone, yes, we believe that disconnecting somebody from the internet based on an unproven allegation of copyright infringement is a disproportionate penalty (laughs) and they don't side with that. And good on them for thinking so too. Now, Telstra Clare has employed New Zealand's famous hacker known as Akil now, for those of you not familiar with the story, Akil was the one who was convicted of running a botnet from right here in New Zealand. He was based in Fitianga. It infected millions of computers. And now Telstra Clare announced that towards the end of last year, he was employed there. Uh, I'm not really quite sure how, how we feel about that. Oh, I think it's a, a, um, a, a brilliant idea, really. The way that they used him, well, employed him, the services they got from him was he gave uh, seminars and talked at committee meetings and other meetings with different groups within Telstra Clear to talk about the 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 way that um, hackers were working, the securities that they were bypassing, the ways that they were doing their stuff, not only towards the the equipment and software side, but also the way that they were working the the social angle of hacking, the tricks they were using to get people to install things, to click on buttons they shouldn't be clicking on, to do the things that they shouldn't be doing. And that's what they were using him for, as that educational tool to to bring their own business a step ahead. And who better, really, to talk about those sorts of issues than a person who did those things? Well, yeah, he it's, is the subject matter expert, isn't he? Exactly. It's if you want to talk to somebody about security, you bring in somebody who's from that field. And, well, if you want to talk about hackers and how to prevent them, then who better to get? And most black hat hackers end up becoming white hat hackers, especially after they've been caught anyway. Yeah, there just seems there's still some air of irony there, though, because he really didn't he got off fairly lightly, from what I understand, and and now here he is employed by Telstra Clear. Something there's something about it that I just don't quite like, but I'm not quite sure what it's, it is. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations which it it niggles you because he's done something wrong and he should have been punished for it, and he has been punished. But as you as you mentioned, he does seem to have been very lightly punished, fined, and he's no longer allowed near a computer but no jail time or anything like that. And then he goes and gets a job, <laughs> getting paid money because of the knowledge he has. It's, 
it can irk you a bit, but once again, he has a specific set of skills, a specific set of knowledge. As you said, he's a subject matter expert, and he's a captured one. <laughs> he's a captive youth one. He's not out there hiding himself anymore. And why not take advantage of that knowledge? Yeah, well, it's certainly better to have them work for you than against you. And I don't think it's really damaged Telstra Clear's reputation at all. I mean, it's not like we're seeing a mass exodus of people unhappy with us and, you know, leaving Telstra Clear or anything. Definitely not. In fact, it would, um, for me, it gives me more confidence in Telstra Clear that they've done this, that they've actually sought out the subject matter expert in the field, not just a, you know, 30s to 40s security analyst sitting behind a desk, um, but an actual hacker who has recently been convicted of doing this um, and seeking his knowledge to improve their systems and their security. Um, It gives me more confidence in them. Well, I'd, yeah, there's still something about that that seems a little quirky, but uh, yeah, it's I, I guess it's uh, for a good outcome. Mm. Animation Research of Dunedin have won the contract for providing the graphics for this year's Formula One series for BBC. I think that's fantastic. It is fantastic news. A, a local company, well, local being New Zealand, making good, doing something on the international stage, showing off their work. Yeah, it's brilliant. And in fact, uh, animation research are the ones that uh, did the graphics for the ads on the Fast Free. What was that Fast Free that went uh, between Wellington and Picton? The Lynx. That's right. Yeah, remember the ads with the the uh, seagull on the front trying to hold on? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was them. always brought a smile to my face. <laughs> yeah, they were good, and of course, they their, their big break was when they did the graphics for America's Cup, uh, and now yeah. uh, this for the BBC uh, for uh, Formula One. I think is this is this is really good news. Indeed, I think it's very good news, and uh, they've certainly got a niche sort of thing that they're going for, and it's good to see them succeeding at it. It's always nice to go out on a good story like that. That pretty much, uh, I think, is all we've got to talk about this week, unless there's something you'd like to uh, add to the list there, Brad? No, no, definitely. I think that's pretty good for this week. Well, on that note, thank you very much, uh, Brett, for hosting the show once again uh, with me. Always a pleasure. And thank you very much to our audience as well. Cue the band. This wraps up Episode 10 of The Boys of Tech. Thanks very much for joining us. See you all again next week. Bye-bye. 